Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 13 starting with verse 28. So what we've covered so far is really three sermons. Uh, this, today's going to be the fourth sermon. I did want to make it three but uh, there's just so much to it that I actually broke Mark 13 into four sermons and we're talking about eschatology. What is eschatology? It's the study of end times and it's very important because Jesus spoke to his disciples about prophecy, what's going to happen in the future, end times, and by extension, he's speaking to us too. He didn't keep it a secret. It was revealed for all of us to read. And there's several chapters, not only in the Gospels, but in other works. We're going to cover some complementary scriptures, such as Second uh, Peter, where he speaks about end times prophecy, and we're going to wrap it up all together. So it's something that we need to learn. And, you know, some churches, you can go there 10, 15 years and they never teach it. And really, that's a detriment to the body because it's something that the Lord wanted us to learn. And today's uh, title for today's sermon is Lifestyle, Not Lifeline. What we try to teach, according to the way God set up his relationship with us, is that it's great to call on God when we need him. That's a lifeline. But it's better to have a lifestyle. You know, God, every morning, you know, you thank you for another day, just... You know, there's no set how much scripture you should read every day or how much you should pray every day. It's a relationship. So again, it's more of a lifestyle than a lifeline. Now, let's put this all in context. So we're talking about the end of the world, end times prophecies, but God doesn't want us to get caught up in spending all of our time speaking about you know, when the rapture is going to happen, the Lord coming back for his people before that seven-year tribulation period. Who's going to be the Antichrist? You know, when is the world going to end? But it's to be more looking for indicators, okay, indicators, preparing ourselves personally right, and spiritually to, to be able to receive the Lord when he does come for his people. I, I thought it was funny. It's amazing how smart people can be in the world. I mean, highly intelligent. And these are the things that they worry about. I have an article here. Stephen Hawking, genius, brilliant, probably, you know, one of the smartest men on the planet, you know, doesn't believe in God. He said in this article that artificial intelligence could end the human race. So this is what people who don't know God sit up at night thinking about. I guess it coincides very well with the last, I guess, Terminator 5 is coming out. <laughs> Another Terminator movie where the machines rise up and, and try to annihilate the human race. But this is this guy's understanding of it. However, we know better. And again, this is what we're looking at. Uh, and here are the two extremes. The two extremes are, well, the first one is, and we talked about this, what is Christianity not supposed to look like? Whether it's the Jehovah Witnesses or the Harold Campingites who predicted the end of the world in 1970 and 2011. I, you've heard, I've heard dates 1994, 1996. Obviously, we're still here. <laughs> and faithful followers sold everything, their homes, their cars. They quit their jobs and the night before staring up at the sky and the night comes and the morning comes and the next day comes and they're still here. And they have, and you know, it's really not funny. They don't have a job. They don't have 
they don't have anything. They, they've gotten thinking that their, their cult leader told them that, that Jesus was going to come back for them. So that's really one extreme. Now here's another extreme, and this falls more into, I would say, Western Christianity, especially uh, with the whole American dream, and you know you can, and that's that's all a good thing. But sometimes we get so caught up in that that we forget that we're we're just passing through in this world, you know. Uh, so on the other extreme, you've got those that really don't want the Lord to ever come back. It's a terrible thought to them. I'm doing really good here. I love this world. I'm doing so well here, and they're not heavenly minded at all. So what's the balance? The balance is, and we're going to talk about in Matthew 24, the two women. One's grinding at the mill. She's she's working. But she's heavenly minded, and when the Lord comes for his people, she gets taken, and the other lady's still there grinding at the mill. So I'm going to talk to you at the end of how to have really a balanced life to, to, you know, to go through this world, because this is where God put us, but also to be heavenly minded and always keep him at the forefront of everything that we do. So let's jump in and check this out. I'm going to jump first to Matthew 24, which is a parallel scripture to Mark 13. Matthew 24, starting with verse 36. Now this is Jesus speaking. Matthew records it. Jesus says, for the the coming of the Lord, but that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were. So what Jesus is pointing to is a historical fact. The story of Noah was not an allegory. As a a matter of fact, in the Gilgamesh epic and some other recordings around this world, people who weren't even Christians or even Jews, they speak about the flood. So this was a worldwide flood. History bears that out. So he says, As the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. So be ready, be spiritually prepared. I'm not going to go through every part of Matthew 24 and 2 Peter, which we're going to talk about after this, because I covered them extensively when we went through those books, but I'm just going to really try to tie in and put these puzzle pieces together so we can make sense of this whole eschatological, this whole end times prophecy. So basically what Jesus is saying is that there's a general attitude in the populace as business as usual. And we live in 2014. We live in the age of technology and so many advances. People look at the day of Noah. That's like foreign. That's another dimension. And even those in the church can have that same attitude. Well, that's such a long time ago. You know, tomorrow we're going to wake up just like every other day. That's the attitude. And, And let it not be for those who are believers. Now in verse 40, it's interesting because you got this picture of people just going on with their lives, living in this world, and one's taken and the other one's left on the earth. Now those who deny the rapture will say that, well, that they're taken to judgment. It doesn't bear out in the Greek. The word for taken in the Greek can mean this, paralambano, means to receive near, to take to oneself, to join to oneself a companion 
to associate with oneself. This is a relationship. This is a relationship that the Lord had with these people, even though they were on the earth. Okay? Let's keep in mind, again, that God is a lifestyle. I will preach this until my last breath because it's so important. Because I know that there was a change in my life. I used to look at God as a lifeline, and I did some stupid things back in the day. And it would often be a Saturday morning when I was hunched over the toilet throwing up, okay? I'm so glad there were no iPhones back then or Facebook. There might be some embarrassing pictures floating around. But I looked at God, oh God, help me. And then when he didn't help me the way I wanted to, I'd get mad at him. Stupid. I mean, I can look back. I thought I was righteous and he should help me. You know, when things were near-death experience, oh God, help me. Then I wouldn't talk to him for a few months till the next thing happened, or the next Saturday morning. Idiotic. So that was my lifeline, and it wasn't very effective, although I am still here. But I, I became a believer. I trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now God is a lifestyle. Every day I wake up, I'm just thankful that I, got a, I woke up with my wife and kid, you know, and I can start another day, and I'm in generally good health. I can walk. I can talk. You know, you, you become very grateful when God is a lifestyle instead of treating him as a lifeline. So verse 45, it says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. A lot of people are saying that. The Lord's delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. So the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour when he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not a pretty picture. You know, the different phraseologies in the first century that we might not be completely familiar with. But let me tell you, this is a, an awful, awful situation. Are we the faithful and wise servants as believers? Every believer has to ask themselves that question. Right? Because you know, the one that caught, that's caught beating their fellow servants, now this doesn't mean if the rapture comes and you're actively engaged in a fist fight that you're going to stay here. Uh, understand the, the terminology that Jesus says. It's an allegory but it's based on a truth of how we're to be living our lives when the Lord comes for us, right? We have to have uh, the right heart, the right spiritual mindset. We have to be bearing fruit. We have to be truly believers and not just churchgoers. Now, poor behavior leads to poor theology, and poor theology leads to poor behavior. So you, you, you see that here. Um, some people want to follow a theology that suits their lifestyle, but it's not based in truth, and it'll lead to poor behavior. And you can see that here. Verse 51, the, this, this servant who's not faithful will be cut in two, or these servants, and appointed their portion with the hypocrites where there will be neat weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a picture of unpreparedness spiritually. Now, I think it's funny because I, I love, you know, it's almost like there's a class that unbelievers go to and they say, if a, a, an evangelist approaches you, say this, that'll, that'll throw them off. Or say this, they can't answer that question. I hear the same things all the time. It's like a school or something on the internet. You know, ChristianAnswers.com. I don't know, don't look that up, but I, I just made that up in my mind. You know, I, I hear this a lot. Well, you know, there's a whole bunch of hypocrites in church. 
Okay, well, let, let me follow the logic here with you. Yeah, there are. There's hypocrites everywhere. And as Christians, if you've been Christian long enough, you've been a hypocrite. I know I have, and we've had to repent for being a hypocrite. Okay, but, but the true hypocrites, the ones that say that they're believers but are not living the life, and they really don't have Jesus in their life, and they, he's not their Lord and Savior, they're just fond of him, well, they're going to be the hypocrites that are cast into this place. So I guess let's bring the argument back to the person who's saying, you know, I don't want to go to church or I don't want to consider Jesus because of the hypocrites. Well, that's good for you because what's going to happen is you're going to spend all of eternity with the hypocrites being cut in two where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Is that what you want? The people that you hate the most, you'll spend eternity with. Oh, it's a good point. You know, so, you know, we kind of got to answer these questions because it, it's right here in the scripture. It gives us the answer. If you would, before we cover the last two parables that Jesus speaks of in Mark 13, would you turn with me to 2 Peter 3? Now, this is the Apostle Peter, uh, chapter, uh, 2 Peter 3, yeah, starting with verse 1. The Apostle Peter uh, wrote 1 and 2 Peter. Um, 2 Peter has an end times prophecy flavor or flair. Uh, he knows that his death is imminent. Like Paul's last letters, he knew the Holy Spirit revealed this. And the Apostle Peter does speak about uh, what he pretty much wants to leave with believers for them um, to understand. And this is that last chapter. So think about how important what he's saying here is. It's the last thing that he wrote as far as we know. Starting with verse 1, Peter says, Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last day, walking according to their own lust, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which now exist are kept in store by the same word reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing. You know, for those of you that uh, almost listen to these scoffers or maybe are, get a little depressed or you're, you, you feel pressured by these scoffers, listen to this, that with the Lord one day is as a, as of a, as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So technically the Lord has only been gone for two days, if we look at that, right? On the third day he's revealed himself to us. So, you know, if you want to look at it that way, we're getting pretty close. Uh, he says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some count slackness but he's long-suffering toward us not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance but the day of the lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up therefore since all these things will be dissolved what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. So Peter's saying, listen, based on all this, knowing that these things are going to happen, how should we live our lives? And that's really what Jesus is saying in Mark 13, to be watchful and ready, and we'll talk about that. 
holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promises, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know? I mean, this earth, is, is, this isn't it. You know, and, and even if we wanted to make it our home or our God, we, all, we also have a limited lifespan. We, we're not eternal on this earth physically. We're eternal in the spiritual realm, either one place or the other. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent, the opposite of lazy, to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless. James, I love this, man. You, all these little tentacles of the Bible all touch each other. Different authors, different time periods. James talks about, you really want to be religious? Don't be, you know, take care of the widows and the orphans and don't be spotted by the world. Don't be tainted by the world. And be blameless. doesn't mean sinless. It just means blameless. And, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. It's also our beloved brother Paul. He references the Apostle Paul according to the wisdom given to him has written to you. A few things I want to cover in this briefly. Verse 3, scoffers. You know, there's, I think the, the biggest problem, that, the thing that confuses Christians who are seeking is when they turn on the history channel or turn on some channel and some supposed man of God with some seminary degree is he's a liberal theologian and he's a scoffer. He, he loves this world and he talks about like the, the, the uh, resurrection or the virgin birth as if it never happened. And he's got all these letters after his name so people get frightened by it. This is a scoffer. Don't listen to this guy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He'll be one of those people, trust me, that'll be left behind because he doesn't believe God. And that's a grievous offense to God. They're humanistic. They walk according to their own lusts. And the Lord coming back is an inconvenience to their lifestyle. They don't want it. The Bible is very clear that if we lust after the world, that the love of the Father is not in us. That's found in 1 John 2. Verse 4, they say, where is the promise of his coming? Almost like a sneer. Jesus, oh, Christians been saying that since the first century. But it's, please, we live in the age of postmodernism. We live in the age of enlightenment. You know, we can't be thinking about that stuff anymore. That's heathens and, and uneducated people think that way. And that's their attitude. But I've got to tell you, the believers, when Moses was taken too long with God on the mountain, who was it? It was Aaron, who was a believer, who said, hey, everybody, give me your earrings and your necklaces. Yeah, what was that like? They made a big bonfire, and they melted the gold, and they fashioned the golden calf because God was taken too long. You know, Aaron played the hypocrite. Aaron became the scoffer and, and led everybody into this awful uh, display of idolatry, and people do that today. People make gods their own gods, man. You know, and there's a lot of churches. You, people have these just different ideas of, of who God is. They basically go to the smorgasbord of, of spirituality, and they find what they want, and they put it on their plate, and they say, this is what suits my lifestyle. But what about the truth? Pilate said, what is truth? Well, Jesus knew the truth, but Pilate scoffed at him because he, he well, what's, what's truth anymore? Listen, I'm a political man. I've got to save my own skin. You know, I, I don't want to crucify you, but it's, it's, listen, this is, I've got problems with Rome here. I've got to do what I've got to do. You know, scourge him. It's my paraphrase. <laughs> but, but you know what I'm saying here. I just want to, move, I just want to make a digression here real quick uh, because I love the science aspect of the Bible. Okay, in verse 5 it says, and... and Peter is recounting Genesis. Who's the religious man? Who are the religious people that say Genesis was an allegory? Peter goes back to Genesis. 
He says, the heavens, verse 5, were of old. And this isn't the first place that that's kind of spoken of. I'm asked a lot. Well, how do you reconcile science with the Bible? Very easily. Everything was made in its mature state. God didn't say to Adam, you know, I'd love to make nice trees and a, a beautiful paradise for you, but I've got to start from scratch. So I put a bunch of seeds in the ground. In 100 years, you'll see a, a tree grow up really nice. No, he made the trees in its mature form. He made Adam in his mature form. He made Eve. Not, he, didn't give her, he didn't give Adam a baby girl. She was a, a fully grown woman like that. Everything, the stars were thrown into the, into the sky, into the heavens. They were all ready for Adam to, to count and to talk to the patriarchs about how the children of Israel would multiply like those stars in the heaven and the sands of the sea. So everything was mature. Probably if you cut down a tree after the, you know, the first week of creation, you might see annular rings. So this is my answer. My answer is the Bible's very clear. Everything was made of old. Everything was made in a mature state. So when you ask me, what came first, the chicken or the egg? What came first? Chicken. chicken. That's right. That's right on. Okay. <laughs> and he speaks about the earth standing. The, the earth standing out of... I took a chance on that one, but that was good. You know. <laughs> the earth was standing out of water and in the water. And we understand, based on the Genesis account, that there were basically three later layers of water. There was the water under the earth because the Bible's clear. People say, first of all, don't go see the Noah movie. It's just, it's just, I, didn't, it, I just saw clips of it. I didn't actually waste my money, but it's just, it'll just confuse you. But if you read the scripture, we, we think, well, the rains just came down from the heavens. It's very scientific. That's not true. The scripture tells us that the, the, the water also came up from underneath. There was a different uh, layout and plan for the earth before the flood. There was no rain. There was a mist that came up from some pressure underneath the earth's surface that hydrated everything so they didn't need rain. It was never a gloomy day. Pretty nice, huh? So, so there, was wor- there was water under the earth. There was the, the bodies of water. And then there was what I would call a hydrosphere, which encompassed the earth. And it, it, it was a, a globe around the globe of the earth that caused this tropical environment, this beautiful paradise that after... Judgment had to take place. Well, that changed too. And the lifespan changed as well. And there's a lot of scientific stuff about that. But it does say that the scoffers willfully forget. So it's almost like one of those things where you just don't want to believe something because it could affect your future. Don't want to believe something because you might actually have to follow it. Uh, so you, a scoffer willfully forgets. He talks himself out of it. And if you say a lie enough time, eventually you'll believe it. And this is what he's speaking about, these scoffers. Well, it's, and, and people mimic it today. Oh, Jesus it took so long. It's been thousands of years. It's not going to happen. But what does Second Peter say? He said that it's going to happen. And, and people will continue this nonsense. Okay, verses 10 through 12. And, and this is where we'll, we'll move on from here. There's a lot about heat, explosions, noise, dissolving of the elements. Let, let me have a little fun with this too. Because this... Peter, this fisherman, is expressing what we know today as nuclear fission. Think about this. He speaks about the elements, and the Greek word for element is stoichion. Do you know today that there is a, a science called stoichiometry? I know Lee back there knows that. Stoichiometry, based on this word in the Greek, is the mathematical part of chemistry that deals with reactants and products. And the word stoichion is used as an element or basically what we might understand as an atom. 
And he keeps speaking about luo in the Greek, that everything's going to be let loose. He's speaking about nuclear fission. You know, in, 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 the, in the atom, there's a nucleus and there's a bunch of neutrons, depending on what atom you're speaking about. The heavier ones have more in the nucleus, but you have your neutrons and your protons, and they're all squished together. They're, they're on top of each other. But science tells us that the protons should be repelling because they're like charges, and it shouldn't be held together in that atom. So you ask a scientist, so what do you think about those, uh, that, that, you know, that um, nucleus and the protons in there? How does that happen? Well, that's called the strong nuclear force. Oh, okay. Well, what, what, keep, what makes the strong nuclear force keep it together? We don't know, but it's called the strong nuclear force. So there's a lot of mysteries even about the simple building blocks of matter and life that even science can't understand. But the Bible tells us that Jesus holds everything together. There's another scripture that he speaks about him holding everything together. And it, the Bible says that at one point the Lord will let it all go and everything's just going to burn. I mean, you've seen the mushroom clouds on TV with the atomic experiments. This is going to be a sight to see. And then God is going to redo everything in its perfect form again. So, uneducated fishermen, not bad, Peter. Well, we know that God imparted that through the Holy Spirit, that he expressed explicitly how this all was going to go down. So this is in our home, because it's all going to be ash at one point in time in our near future. And, and this is what we're looking at here. Okay, one more, and then I'm actually going to get to the last two parables, and then we're going to close with this chapter. The day of the Lord is often confusing to people because it's expressed a lot in the Old Testament. I've quoted some passages. It's spoken about in the New Testament. And the way, the way I understand the day of the Lord is that it's, it's actually a period of time. It's not a 24-hour day. All right? Because each time the day of the Lord is spoken of, it seems to encompass some elements of the Lord coming for his, his people, the rapture, Sometimes it, it speaks about the second coming. So how do we rectify it? Well, it's a period. I believe it's a period for when the Lord comes for us in this dispensation, in our near future, and then all the way until, because things are going on in heaven. I talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelation um, you know, 19 and such, 18 and 19. And then it, at some point he comes and he appears himself to the Jewish people. I talked about Zechariah 12, Zechariah 14. There's a national repentance and acceptance. But they're very distinct, as I talked about the last time we got together. And I have some handouts in the lobby which will help you look through those scriptures and see what the difference is between the two of them. If we could just put up the slide about the, about the timeline. I actually wasn't going to use the timeline, but we just got a new uh, screen and the projector moved and it's like real big, so I just want to use it. So I made an excuse to use it. I want to read to you uh, John 10, 16 first, where Jesus speaks to his disciples. And he says to them, he tells them, and other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Remember, he's speaking to mostly Jewish people. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So we understand that this is what we understand. If we could get the uh, timeline up there. There's two flocks that eventually will be united. There's two dispensations, right? We know how the Lord dealt in the Old Covenant, how he dealt with the patriarchs, right? 
We know that how he deals with the church. It's a different dispensation. It's a different set of rules, different relationship. And there's also two different parousias. So two flocks, two dispensations, two parousias. And what's really neat is the church is sandwiched in between the, if, if listen, if this confuses you, just write it down. I'll explain to you, email or whatever, or even after service. But get your questions answered. Um, for those that are, have more advanced in understanding of the Bible, this might this probably come naturally to them. So, in other words, if you look at the patriarchs, God dealt with you know Adam and Abraham and Moses a certain way, and then there was a point in time where Daniel's praying, and we covered this. And he said, you know, my people, there's this sin, you know, the temple's destroyed, well, what's going to happen? And the Lord gives him this vision of 69 to 70 weeks, which is really uh, 69 times 70, which is 483 years, till the Messiah comes, really a really great thing to look forward to. And then the 70th year, which hasn't happened yet, right, because the Messiah got cut off, the Messiah was killed after the 69th week, we, we're still missing a week of Daniel, a seven-year period. So here you have the 69 weeks to the Messiah, then the Messiah's death, here's the church age, here's the 70th week of Daniel, which hasn't happened yet. We know it hasn't happened because there's some great things that Daniel uh, 9 talks about, about the end of transgression and you know, all these great things. There's going to be no more sin and such. Well, we don't live in that time period, obviously. Read the paper. So for a lot of reasons, we know that the 70th week hasn't occurred yet. So really, we are sandwiched, the church age, really neat, in between the 69th, uh, 69 weeks of Daniel and the 70th week of Daniel. Pretty interesting, isn't it? So we, we are a dispensation, is a covenant with the church that's well within the parameters of the 69th and the 70th week. So again, if you have questions, not a problem. Um, let's, let's answer them. Let's get them answered for you. But I, I would just say this to you. If you saying, well, gee, this is, I didn't really know that the faith was this complex. Well, salvation is not. Salvation is easy. Children can understand Jesus died for our sins. He paid a, a propitiation, you know, to the Lord, to God. He, he sacrificed himself, took upon our sins, so that when we stand before God, we're righteous and clean if we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And anybody can fall into that. Anybody here, anybody in the world, no matter what your past is, However, there's some deeper things of the Lord that's, that's meteor, that takes a little bit longer to, to grasp. You know, if any of you have taken up skiing, did you, did you get on the slopes and become like an expert and slaloming and zigzagging? No, you didn't. You probably fell a bunch of times. When I first took up beekeeping, um, I actually, there was one day that I went into the hive and I got stung five times, you know, two on the face, the neck, and all over my body. And I'm like, I got to do better because I'm allergic to these things. I had to take an adrenaline pen. Uh, so that wasn't good. But the point I'm trying to make is whatever you do in life is, is relegated to this life. Whatever you're into, your promotions, your, your business. You know, you didn't just come out of the gate knowing it well. Well, the things of the scripture and the things of the Lord is really worth putting the time into because it lasts for eternity when all those other things die when we die. They don't exist after this world. Right? Eternity is much greater, much longer. So this is important. But I'm going to wrap it up for us. Okay, let's go back to Mark 13. So after all this, after the second coming, verses 24 through 27, Jesus wraps everything up with two short parables. The first one is the parable of the fig tree. Mark 13, starting with verse 28. 
Jesus said, now learn this parable from the fig tree. You know, Jesus walked with followers, not just the disciples, and everyone had different education levels. So Jesus used very simple um, pictures, things in nature, to help everybody grasp what he was saying. It's just an awesome thing about parables. Here's something in the real world. Oh, yeah, we understand that. Now let me liken it to spiritual things. So he says, learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near. And another translation is that he is near. At the very doors, assuredly I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. And Peter gives us a picture of how the heavens and the earth, not God's throne room, but the heavens as in the Uranus or the, um, you know, the, the, the layers outside of the ground of the earth and the different planets. So the, you know, all the filler stuff. Some of it's a vacuum, so it's not really filler, but let's move on. So basically Jesus says that, and, and I have a fig tree at home. Every spring it does the same thing, just like Jesus says, right? The leaves, the fruit, the green, you know, the leaves, you know, expand. They're beautiful the way they open up, and then the, the fruit changes color, and um, it, it's beautiful. So fig trees do the same thing all the time. So what he's saying, Jesus is saying, is look to the fig tree. Understand that as the fig tree uh, changes, uh, you know that it can indicate the seasons, Understand when you see the signs that we just covered in the last three uh, portions of this chapter, then you know that the Lord's coming is near. And I believe he's referring to the second coming. In other words, I believe to the tribulation saints, he was giving them hope. If you're in the middle of this and you see all these things happening and you see the rise of the Antichrist, well, once you see him present himself, and we covered this in the temple, in the new, the new temple that's going to be built in our future, you can count, uh, was it 1,290 days, 1,290 days according to Daniel 12.11 to the second coming. We can't, un we can't know when the rapture will come, right? That's very clear. He says no one will know the day or the hour. However, if you're in the middle of the tribulation, which I hope nobody here is, <laughs> you will be able to count from that three and a half point mark to the, next the last three and a half years. So just hold tight if you're not martyred eventually to land and the Lord will come and he'll subdue the Antichrist, his armies and all this kind of stuff. Pretty, uh, like I said, it's very deep. It takes a long time to study all this stuff and put it together. And I'm like, all right, I understand it. The trick is for me now to make them understand it. That's the hard thing about teaching. I mean, something as depth as this, it's like, how do I get it to you guys? So at the end, I'm going to give you, the, give you a basic understanding and, and that'll, <laughs> some of you are like, you're not, you're not making it clear, but we'll work on that. Okay. Verse 31 is a, is a perspective check. Everything will pass away, Jesus says, but my words will not pass away. Okay? Um, remember I said a few Sundays ago, I talked to you about the news, I talked to you about AP photographers photoshopping explosions, uh, live people with makeup, they, they lay them out and take pictures, and you know, you bombed our th this, and this is the result of it. Then you find those pictures in another region. We don't know what's real and what's not real. You know, there was one thing that I actually was posted to the church wall. It was me. <laughs> I didn't do all my research. And it was, it was a hoax. It wasn't real. So we look at media. We look at Facebook. We look at the news. And we really don't know what's real and what's not real. I showed you the, the video of the hologram of Michael Jackson. He's been dead for some time now. But 
you know, a few weeks ago, you saw him doing his dance and the moonwalk and everything at the uh, Billboard Music Awards. It's not him. It's a hologram, but it's pretty darn good. Uh, you would think it was him. So the bottom line is everything in this earth will pass away. We live in the age of illusion, but this will never pass away, God's word. So that's your, your mooring point. That's your anchoring point. You know, that's your foundation. Verse 32. Last few verses. He says, but of that day and hour, nobody knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper, so you have your servants and your doorkeeper, commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning lest coming suddenly he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch, exclamation point. Parable of the doorkeeper. Now this is for believers in any age. Okay? Jesus would often speak different parables to different people for different time periods for a different set of encouragement or ministering to. Okay, so this is something that we all believers need to pay attention to. I don't want to skip over this. He says, neither the son knows. This is something that Pastor Jason covered in the Bible college class when he taught about Christology. When Jesus came in the form of a man, there were some things he gave up temporarily. One was, you could say, omnipresence. He took the form of a man, two arms, two legs. So um, he kind of, you know, spiritually he knew things in other regions, but as far as his body came, became, it was limited to certain areas because, you know, because he took the form of a man. He was still fully God. How does that happen? How do you fit all that godness into a human body? I have no idea. Some questions we just can't answer. But I can tell you what I do know. There's an, an, uh, you know so so he, if he didn't know, it was, it was a, a self-restriction. Uh, the Bible also talks about what we know in the Greek as kenosis, an, an emptying. When the Bible says he emptied himself to take the form of a man. How much did he empty? Well, that's, again, another Bible college type of subject. But if he didn't know, it was because he restricted himself as he did with omnipresence. So don't, don't, don't let that throw you. Let's go back to the doorkeeper. The doorkeeper in those days, what did they do? They kept the door, right? The master would leave, and they said, you, head servant, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm knighting you, and I want you to do this. Faithful in the little, faithful in the much, right, Christians? When we show God we can be faithful in some little things, he, give, he, he steps us up. So this doorkeeper now, he would keep the door in those days. He was the gate warden. He was a watcher. When the other servants were sleeping, he had to be paying attention, and he had authority. And he was tasked with protecting the master's affairs. Check this out. It's like a man going to a far country. The Lord told us in John 15 that he would be going away, and the disciples were like, no, no, no. We want to go with you. No, you can't go. <laughs> Stay here. I'm going away. I'm preparing a house. I'm preparing a mansion for you. Right? Jesus spoke about how he prepares a place eternally for all believers. So he's really that picture of going away with, with a purpose, but eventually coming back for his servants. Right? He left us with spiritual gifts to use in the church, in the body of Christ, right? to glorify his name, to lead people to Christ while, while we're on the earth. And he commanded us to do business with those gifts. Remember the parable of the talents. Remember the one servant who had one talent. 
And he said, I, I hid it in the ground and here's your talent back. And what did God say? You wicked and lazy servant. We're called to do things with the spiritual gifts that we're given. Now, if you are maybe a young believer in age or you're a young believer in spirituality, I just got saved last week. Well, what's my spiritual gift? Don't panic. You know, enjoy your relationship with the Lord. The Lord over time will reveal your spiritual gifts to you. There's a whole host of them, and they're pretty awesome. Just like we all have natural ability, God gave us spiritual ability. There are things that a 13-year-old kid has a, a spiritual gift that I don't have, and I marvel. I love it. It's awesome. So nobody's better than anybody else here. There may be some of us that are more out front. There may be some of us that are more behind the scenes, but we all are equal in, in the Lord's eyes. So I want to encourage anyone here, maybe you're struggling with that, talk to one of the pastors, elders, their wives, and say, would you pray for me? I want to know what my spiritual gift is. You know, it's so cool. It's like a, a treasure that you get to open up, and you're taking the tissue paper off, and oh, wow, what, what is it? And it's It's beautiful. That, to me, is a spiritual gift. When I go out and evangelize to Muslims or Jewish people or Hindus or atheists, that's my primary spiritual gift. I don't have notes. I don't take hours putting stuff together and put highlights all over it. It just happens. I don't even need a Bible. The scriptures come to mind. That is my spiritual gift, evangelizing. I love it. Everything else I have to work at, unfortunately. But you all have spiritual gifts if you're a believer. I know I'm taking a lot of time on this, but it's that important. And that's really a, you know, am I his? When you, when you notice it and it's developed and you use it and you glorify God, that's, that's great. So keep that in mind. So I got so excited, where am I? Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. If the master came back and found the doorkeeper sleeping, there would be consequences for the doorkeeper. Now, I look at, and I, I hesitate to say this because, sadly, in Western Christianity, sometimes the attitude, that's the pastor's job, that's the pastor's job, that's the church leader's job. No, we all work together. But I would say that probably those in some type of spiritual or ecclesiastic authority, probably, definitely, we're, we're doorkeepers. We have to do right spiritually by the flock. You know, I, as, as much as... <laughs> I can't, I can't gerrymander, it's an old word, I can't gerrymander around Scripture. I have to give you the Scripture straight. Some days you're going to walk out here and you're not going to like me. I can't believe he said that. It's based on the Scriptures. What can I say? As a doorkeeper, spiritually, it's my job to tell the truth. I know that there's other ministries and I know they're teaching stuff and I know they're drawing large crowds, but a lot of it is watered down so they can draw large crowds and tickle their ears. I, I, gotta, I have to. I fear God more than I fear wanting to be what they're doing. I don't want to do that. So as, as leaders, we have to teach the truth. Because there's a lot of false teachers putting Christians to sleep. They're anesthetizing them. And there's a lot of Christians who want to be put to sleep. You know, I deal with people who, who, uh, who have ad addiction issues. And, and when I have these real frank conversations, I mean, what, what's sometimes the bottom line? There's a lot of reasons but a lot of times it's you do it because you don't want to deal with life. There's some aspect of life, there's some aspect of our past that we want to be anesthetized from. The only problem is when you come down off that high, you either got, got to get back on another one, and where does that leave us in the world? It can leave us destitute and destroyed and devoid of relationships and, and our youth and everything like that. So um, even, even physically people want to be anesthetized. 
You know, people want to go in their own boxes when they get home after work because they don't want to deal with the pressures of work. Right? But Jesus is saying, don't be anesthetized when it comes to spiritual things. Do not be asleep. We're commanded to be paying attention. Take heed and watch are repeated eight times in this chapter alone. Eight times. I've always said, and I've always been taught, if the Bible repeats something, if Jesus repeats something, it's something we have to pay attention to. Eight times. Take heed and watch. The first word is watch. The Greek word is actually Gregoruo, where we get the name Gregory from. Anybody here named Gregory? Well, if, if you are, then now you know what your name means. It means to watch. It's pretty cool, isn't it? The word watch can also mean to be vigilant, to be awake, and I would say in our vernacular, pay attention, <laughs> right? The second one is a phrase, take heed, means behold, beware, or perceive. In our vernacular, we could say, open your eyes. You know, sometimes I'll say, Heather, do you know where am I? And then I stop, because I found it, it's right in front of me. So she goes, what? What did you say? I'm like, nothing. That was the dog. The dogs get blamed a lot for in our house. No, she goes, no. She tries to ferret out. No, no, you asked me like as if I took it. And she'll say to me, it's right in front of you. It's, it's open your eyes. It's right there. We can actually have something in our field of view, and we're not picking it up. So Jesus is saying the same thing. Open your eyes to spiritual things, right? Take it in. Listen to it. See it. But also do something with it. Act on it. Again, a lot of Christians are sleeping. So let me go back to what is it that we're supposed to learn from all this, from eschatology? Well, we should be like the lady grinding at the mill in Matthew 24, right? She, she went to work every day. She had to feed her family. But she was spiritually minded. She was, heavenly, she was ready for the Lord. And when the Lord said, come home, she disappeared. And the other lady was like, hey, where's my help? Where'd you go? paraphrasing but the one lady who's grinding at the mill was taken right she was ready spiritually that's what we need to be we need to make god a lifestyle not a lifeline means to desire a deeper relationship not to be churchgoers god does not call us to be churchgoers and he doesn't call us to be converts he calls us to be disciples and that, and that is on a whole different level and honestly when we when we Trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It's not about us anymore. We can't have the attitude, this is great. I got everything I can get in the world and now I'm in the Christian community and, and it's fire insurance. When I, when I die, I go to heaven and I, my butt doesn't get burned from the flames. No. Our lives change. And this isn't, impo this isn't popular either. We all owe God a debt of gratitude and we should be, he always says this, servants. When he talks about his servants, we should be serving him. We should be serving in some way, using our gifts and talents to glorify him. Listen, you look at, and, and here's, here's, the, here's the, how, how it boils down, okay? Pastor Paul said this uh, last Wednesday, Wednesday before, you know, we have projects in the church. We've got a whole bunch of projects going on at the same time. As a board, we have plans in this church. We're going to announce some really awesome things in January. However, if the Lord said to me when I got out of here, I'm coming at 8 o'clock tonight, I wouldn't be disappointed. I'm out of here. <laughs> so while I'm here, I make plans, but I, I need to be heavenly minded for the day that he comes to call us home. And quite frankly, if we all go, then all the tribulation squatters can finish the projects. Good for them, you know? <laughs> but I ain't going to be here. I'm taking the first bus. I'm out of here. Living in this world, 
It's not permanent, but to be heavenly minded. A few pithy points to see where we fit in in these characteristics. Number one, I'm not scaring anybody, and I'm not even trying. Number one, to be watchful and not worried. This stuff shouldn't be frightening. You love the Lord? Awesome. You seek the Lord? Great. Are you prepared? Super. To be prepared, not panicked. We're not going to win anybody to Christ if, our, if, we're, not, if we're just panicked and we're in a fray. Well, what's your Lord doing for you? To be action-oriented, not apathetic. To be forewarned, not fearful. Perfect love casts out all fear. I can tell you this, that, let me just say this, <laughs> it's going to sound weird. It's actually more peaceful to be an, an unbeliever and run in the world and do all the stuff you want to do. More peaceful than be a, being a double-minded believer. A double-minded believer is a tortured person because they're trying to reconcile two worlds and they're the tether. And, they, and you can't bring those two worlds together. God will not be married to this sinful uh, world that, that's being dealt with. It's going gonna, it's gonna to pass. It's almost like the expression, you can't ride two horses with one tush. It's a bumpy ride, man. Get off the one horse and just jump on. It'll smooth out, man. That's the way it's got to be. So that's the, that's the torture in, in, trying to, in, in, in double-mindedness. It causes just such instability. Be purposeful and paying attention. Be followers of Jesus, not fans. We're not called to be fans of the Lord. Right? We're supposed to be followers of Jesus. Putting our trust in the Lord, not just giving mental assent to the Lord. The demons, James tells us, believe in Jesus. They do. And I bet you demons know more Scripture than we do. But they're, not, they're going to hell, man. That's it. That's it for them. They, have, they don't put their trust and their, and their future into Jesus. We're supposed to be doing that. Why prophecy? Purification, readiness. Are we prepared for the Lord to come back? Watch that show, Doomsday, sometimes Doomsday Preppers. Those people are impressive. I mean, they've got whole bunkers. And it's kind of scary a little bit. So much preparation for a holocaust or a civil insurrection, but what about preparation for spiritual things to receive the Lord? If you're a believer and this is foreign to you, it's something that you have to consider today. I want to leave you with one more thing. Actually, uh, Pastor Chuck Smith, before he passed away, wrote an article called A Future Reckoning. I'll just, leave you, I'll just read you just the last paragraph. He speaks about the, the parable of the talents, you know, being tasked with spiritual gifts and to do business before the Lord comes back. He says, you too, all of us, are going to stand before the Lord and give an account of yourself. Our Lord is coming, and when he does, it will be a day of judgment for the world and a day of reckoning, reckoning for believers. Let us never be lazy about serving God, but may we be diligent in using the things he has entrusted to us for his purpose and his glory for the expanding of his kingdom. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.